Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Hey, today's message is titled, It's About Time. Time is a topic that we spend a lot of energy on. We spend a lot of money on working to make the most of our time. If you were to look at management books or business resources, you would find a lot on the subject of time management. When we want someone to not be late for something, we stress to them, you must be on time, right? And when we want someone to think for a little while, we say, hey, let me give you a little bit of... And when someone shows up late, we look at them and we say, well, it's about... (laughs) time, right? We use that word a lot. It's at the hub of much of what we do. We are people who are fascinated by, we are fixated by, we care a lot about the subject of time. And time's a big deal. In fact, the Bible talks to us a lot about a biblical understanding, a God-centered view of the subject of time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We started a new series of messages last week that we're calling Sunday Drive. It's kind of a practice that I think has been lost by most of us, that there, there, there are times when people will just get in their car, typically on a Sunday, and just drive, no real agenda, just taking some time to slow down, taking some time to, to think about things, taking some time to observe the, the world around you, and giving yourself a break from the, the hectic pace. And not too long ago, I thought, you know, it would be good for us to just kind of take some time and think about our own lives, just kind of slow down, if you will, take a, a Sunday drive in some of our messages. See, a Sunday drive slows you down enough to think about what drives you. A Sunday drive will slow you down enough to think about what it is that drives you. So that's what we're trying to do through these messages. And if you remember last week, one of the things that we wanted to bring into perspective was that you're here on a Sunday or you're watching this message, you're listening to this. And so for some reason, then there's something about a relationship with God, a spiritual part of your life that drives you. The question is, does your Sunday drive drive your Monday? Is the same thing that drives you to want a relationship with God on a Sunday guide you in your decisions, in your interaction? Do you have that same thought process about God, a commitment to Christ, wanting the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, not just on Sundays, but does it drive you on the weekdays? Are your weekends spent with that same focus? And so we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes If there's any book in scripture that causes you to stop and ponder your own life, to slow down enough to think about what is is life really all about, it's a book of Ecclesiastes. And we, we set this up last week and we talked about how Solomon, who was the king of Israel, the son of David, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And part of what he does in chapter three is give us a biblical perspective on time. He kind of sums it all up in verse 11, and this is where we're going to take most of our thoughts from today. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, he says this about God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. He gives us in this verse three, three really important aspects about the subject of time. It's not a time management Verse. We, we have some principles in scripture that can help us know how to manage our time. If you read the book of Proverbs or even some of the teaching of Jesus or the Apostle Paul, this verse isn't so much about time management, but it goes deeper. 
It goes to the very core of our understanding of time and of God. See, God sees time different than we do. Have you found that out? Like God's perspective on time, how he views it. It's not the same as I see it. It's not the same as you see it. He has this unique perspective. And the sooner I can get a hold of God's perspective on time, the better off for me it will be. Does that make sense? (laughs) So today I want to look at three things about time. Three things about time that we're going to look at today. We're going to pull these things straight out of this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Three things about time. Here's the first one. Number one, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Number one, God makes everything beautiful in its time. Here's the verse. Let's read it again. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's really a pretty bold statement there, right? That God has made everything beautiful. Everything. Like that, that's, that's all the stuff. Whatever it is that's happening in your life. That he has made everything beautiful in its time. That's not just a bold statement, but it's a promise from God that he is going to make it beautiful. Now, that word that you see there, beautiful, has the same idea in the Hebrew here that it has in the, in the way that we understand it. Kind of its original context had to do with observing something and saying, hey, that's, that's, that's pleasing, that, that's beautiful, whether it's talking about a person or talking about nature. And then over time, the meaning of the word kind of expands. It stretches out to not just talking about something that you can see, but you say, oh, look at that. The outcome of that event was just beautiful. It worked out right. It was appropriate. So we use that word beautiful in a lot of different ways. And what it's saying here is God will make everything right. He will do what is appropriate. He will make it so that it is the way that it's supposed to be. God will make everything beautiful in its time. Now, if we're really going to understand what he's trying to sum up for us here, we're going to have to rewind back to the beginning of chapter 3. So if we go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, I want to read for you about eight verses. These are verses that you're probably familiar with. You've heard them. If you're a child of the 60s, then I know you've heard these verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. There is a time for everything. In a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear, and a time to mend, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Well, that about covers it, doesn't it? (laughs) Right? And, And that's his point there. The reason he goes through all those items, and the reason he swings from one side to the other is Solomon is trying to make a point here. He's saying there is a time for everything. You shouldn't be caught off guard by what comes your way. At some point, all these things that we talk about, you can expect that they're gonna come to your life at some time in some way. This is the message that he's trying to communicate to us here. To everything, there is a season, 
a time for everything, he says, under the heavens. And so this applies to you, and it applies to me, because each of us finds ourselves at different times and seasons. There are times in our lives that come and go. There is a season for everything. And when we say that word season, we live in a part of the country where we can understand seasons, can't we? Like they're pronounced here in Northwest Ohio. We know the difference between summer and winter. In fact, we just entered into a new season of fall, which fortunately still feels like summer, right? (laughs) But that's not gonna last forever, probably. Like at some point, there's gonna come February and we will know that it's very different from what summer felt like. And, And our lives go through seasons too. We go through seasons of school, we go through seasons of work, we go through seasons where we're thriving, We go through seasons where we're struggling. If you're a parent, then you know that your life goes through multiple seasons in your parenting. The question I would have for you, and and seriously, I'd ask you to think about this. What season are you in? Like, what's the season of life that you find yourself in? The first Wednesday of every month, we have what we, we just call First Wednesday. It'll be this Wednesday night. We come together. We spend kind of an extended time in some worship and prayer We look at God's word. It's always a really kind of special time together. And so if you've not been, I'd encourage you to come out and join us this Wednesday night, 7 o'clock here in Auditorium 1. Back in June, we took time to dig into this passage. And we talked about seasons and we talked about change. And we looked at these first few verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I want to go back and highlight just a couple of things that we talked about there. Because I think they're important things for us to know. Here's the truth. Life comes in seasons. It's not always the same. And those seasons come, Solomon says, and those seasons go. And the truth is, if we're going to be realistic, life's not static. It doesn't just stay the same. So my question for you, and honestly, if you're taking notes, you you might want to just write this down with a couple of words. What, What season are you in? If you had to describe it, what is your season? And it's also good for you to know, not only does life come in seasons, but seasons change. I think much of the frustration that we face in life is because oftentimes we want things to be constant. We want them to stay the same. We do not want them to be different from how we know them, but the reality is that seasons change. Life will be different, and if we fail to acknowledge those seasons, we're gonna struggle. Now, it's okay to grieve seasons that have been lost, and it's okay to long for seasons that are ahead, But if you stay frustrated in the season that you're in, it's only gonna hinder your effectiveness, honestly, to move into the next season. And the reality is you have to embrace the fact that seasons change. Look, if you dress in February the same way you dressed in June, you're gonna get frostbite, right? Because seasons have changed. And you have to acknowledge those things. And let me encourage you with this. Appreciate the season you are in. I didn't say you have to like the season that you're in, but appreciate it because it has value. And most likely God has you in that season for a reason. So if you're there, how do you make the most out of that season? How do you, how do you capitalize on that? How do you say, God, use this season? And I guess if you're gonna appreciate the season that you're in, what I would encourage you to do is do what is seasonal. Like if, the, if you're in this season in your life, then what does this season allow you to do? We just entered into a fall season. It's a season where we appreciate certain things. We appreciate when the leaves turn color on the trees. We appreciate wearing hoodies and sitting by a fire. 
We, we appreciate picking apples, right? These are all things that you can only do in what? In this season. And then there's a winter season that comes. So if you're in a fall season, oftentimes, if you're in a fall season of your life, that's typically a season for some change. Embrace that, because some things can only happen in a season of change. They won't happen any other time in your life. You may be in a winter season, and you might think, well, this is gray, and this is dark, and I don't like waiting for this season to change. But oftentimes, those winter seasons are seasons of preparation and rest for what's ahead. Maybe you're in a spring season in your life where new things are happening. Then embrace it. You grow and you bloom and you let God do something special in you through that. Maybe you're in more of a summer season where things are fun and the sun is shining and it's a time when there's growth in your life that you harvest that growth and you make the most out of it. And it's possible too, I think, that you can be in one season in your home and a different season in your church, a different season in your life, maybe a different season in your, in your own spiritual walk. Does that make sense? Whatever that season is, you capitalize on that season, but just know you have to do what is seasonal. Parents, you, you only get one chance to go through the season of parenting your kids, and so you make the most of that time. If you're in a season where God wants to trust you with something new, don't let that season pass you by. You, you seize that. You grab hold of that. If you're in a season of rest, then rest. If you're in a season of doing something new, then launch out. If you're in a season of learning, you make the most of that. But say, God, how do I perceive the season that you have me in, and then how do I do that? I, I can tell you, just personally, I'm kind of in one of those seasons. For a long time, I've, I've had this desire to go back to school and, and finish a master's degree. I started one 20-some years ago, and then every, every year for the last 20 years or so, I say to myself, I'll do it next year. Well, guess what? I started it this year because <laughs> I felt like it was a new season of learning that God wanted me to step into. And so it's gonna be a bit of a challenge. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for the learning. I already can see how God's gonna use this to hopefully help me to, to, to lead better and, and, and lead Calvary into new things, excited for all that. But it means change, right? It means you start doing something you didn't do before. But I don't wanna miss it because this is the season that he has me in. Does that make sense? So when you're in those places, do what is seasonal? Here's the challenge, though. The challenge is sometimes you look at those things and you go, I don't like this season. I don't like what's happening in my life. And how do I know it's all going to work out? Well, after he talked about seasons in the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3, in chapter 3, uh, verse 11, Solomon comes back and says, well, God will make all things beautiful in its time. See, God can be trusted to make things beautiful. I don't know what your time or your season looks like, but that verse says that God can be trusted. That's easy to say when you're in a season of peace or love, not so easy to say when you're in a season of war or hate, right? <laughs> but the Bible tells us that God can be trusted to make things beautiful. Some of you need to hear this. Isaiah chapter 61, verse three. Isaiah writes that God will provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them, and I love this phrase, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It says that he can take what is in ashes and he can turn it into something 
beautiful. When will he do it? I'm not sure. I just know he promised that he will make everything beautiful in its time. And if your life seems to be in a, in a place of ashes right now, you may need to hear this. This might be your time to hear this, that God can make everything beautiful. When's he gonna do it? Well, it says that he'll do it in its time. Because God can not only be trusted to make things beautiful, but a second thing here, we see God can be trusted to do things at the right time. He will make it beautiful, and he will do it at the right time. You can trust God in that way. It does not say he'll do it at the popular time. It doesn't say he'll do it on our time. It doesn't say he'll do it when he senses our urgency or our crisis. It says he'll do it at just the right time. This is a biblical principle. If, if you go back to what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter four, Paul was talking about the time when Jesus came, when Jesus was born, and it says this, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, Galatians 4, 4. At the right time, God sent Jesus. For centuries, for thousands of years, the Jewish people had prayed for a Messiah to come. They had been looking for someone like Jesus to come and save them. And yet, for whatever reason, God chose to send Jesus when he did there at the, at the first century. But here's what we know. When you look at the state of the world at that time, language, culture, government of the Roman Empire, there had never been a moment in time up until that point where the gospel could have spread so quickly as it did in that time under the Roman Empire. You know why? Because God knew how to do it at just the right, anybody? <laughs> time. And so you can trust him to do things at the right time. Romans chapter five, verse six, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That raises a really interesting point because I often wonder about God's timing. Anybody else? Like there's times when I think God should do it sooner. There's times when I think God should do it differently. Life would be a whole lot easier, God, if you just do it my way. Can I get an amen? Right? And yet, how does he do it? He does it at the right time. Now, I want to I show you something from my own personal experience because what I've found is that there will be times where he will want to teach you how he's working at this time so then you will trust him when things move on at a later time. I can remember when Ron and I first got married, we were still students at Central Bible College, and we, we purchased... My, my dad helped us to do this. We, we purchased this mobile home that was on the campus of the college. It was 12 by 50. So you think about that. It was basically a cargo container, right? So we lived in this like 12 by 50 tin can of love for two years, right? When we first got married, right? So, so then we're moving from Springfield, Missouri to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we got to sell this thing. Like this, this is our earthly possession, right? And we got to sell it so that we can move. And we were, I don't know about Ron, I was stressed out about the whole thing because we got to get this taken care of. This was in the mid-90s. You didn't have all the capabilities that you have now electronically and, and, and the things with email and the internet and, and making things as easy as it is now. So I'm stressed out. You know when God allowed us to sell that? When the U-Haul was in the driveway on the day we left. It's when the guy brought the check and I was like, thanks, God. You could have done it different, but thanks, God. You know what he taught me? He taught me that he will do it. He will make it beautiful just in the right time. 
So when we sold our house in Toledo, the first house we owned here and, and moved to the house that we live in now, when we sold that house, it didn't happen in my time, but it happened in God's time. And you know how he did it? He did it just the right time. And that's how it worked out when we bought this piece of property as a church. It's a little bit bigger than a tin can, right? <laughs> but when we bought this property, the first month was smooth sailing. Like we were like, God, thanks for your favor, the way you're working this out. And then we went through five months of a roller coaster where we had to trust God, where it seemed like it was gonna happen, it seemed like it didn't. And we kept saying, God, why don't you just work this out? But I can tell you that during those six months, my faith grew like a time like no other time in my life. You know why? Because God knows how to work things out at just the right time, right? And so fast forward to this spring when we finally, after seven plus years, were able to sell our former property on Glendale after all kinds of planning, all kinds of discussion, hours and hours of trying to work this thing out. And we thought, God, why is this taking so long? <clears throat> and I'm so thankful for the life that's happening in that building now and the way that it's being used to bless our community. It wouldn't have happened at any other time. It wouldn't have worked out quite like that. You know why? Because God knows how to do things at just the right, anybody? So you trust him with that. Here's, here's the fact I want you to see in this. God does the right thing at the right time. And we have to settle that in our hearts. It won't be in your time. It won't be in, in what you think is the popular time. But God does the right thing at the right time, and you can trust him with that. So if you remember at the beginning, I said to you that God sees time differently than we do, and that the sooner I come to terms with that, the better off I'll be. Here's why. Because surrendering your time to God leads to confidence and peace. When I say, God, here's Here's the time of my life, my plans, my dreams, my, my work, my ideas. The sooner I surrender those things to him, the sooner he can do something beautiful out of them, and it leads to confidence, and it leads to peace. Here's maybe a little story that, that you can relate to. It's a lady named Jenna who was having a dream not too long ago. She dreamed she was on a high-speed train, and this train was just barreling, and she was sitting on this train, and, and it was racing down the tracks, and her fiance was right there next to her, and all of a sudden, some bad guys in her dream storm into the car of the train that they're in, terrorists or something, some bad guys come in, and they start going from passenger to passenger, taking things from them, and as they're moving their way down the aisle of this train in her dream, her fiance turns to her and looks down at her engagement ring, which is a 2.4 carat diamond ring, so that's legit, right, ladies, right? <laughs> He looks at the ring, looks at her, and says, you know what to do, swallow it, so that they don't take the ring. So in her dream, she pops the ring off, pops it in her mouth, and swallows it. Well, when she wakes up, she remembers the dream and thinks, boy, that was a weird dream, until she looks down at her hand and her ring is missing. <laughs> Wanna see where her ring is? Here's the actual x-ray from our friend Jenna. Do you see it in there? Like, that's the x-ray, she swallowed her ring. Isn't that crazy? Now they went, to the, they went to the doctor, they were able to do like an endoscopy type procedure and they were able to get it out of there and she's fine and she's got her ring back and they're gonna get married. I just find the whole story hard to swallow. You know? You're welcome, you're welcome. Here's the deal though, you can relate, right? There's times and places and, and at, the, at the risk of being cheesy, think about it. You ever had a... A dream for your life that ended up as a nightmare? 
You ever had something you thought was precious and then it's difficult to stomach? And you wonder, how's this, how's this thing gonna, how's this thing gonna work out? Like how in, how how is this going to be something beautiful? And we ask this question over and over again. And listen, I tell you this story because it's a happy story, right? I can tell you, she swallowed her ring, but she got her ring back. Now it's back on her finger, and she and her fiance are in love, and she says she takes it off when she goes to bed at night, <laughs> right? It's got a, it's got this, this story has a happy ending. Like, when I tell you that whole story, there's a certain ring to it, doesn't it? I mean, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. But you can't say that about every story. Like, there's things in your life that you're looking at, and you're going, man, I wish that had a happy ending. But it doesn't. I thought there'd be a healing, and there wasn't. I thought my finances would look different than this, but I just keep taking punches. I thought this was going to end up with some kind of resolution, and it just keeps getting worse. And sometimes we get to the end, and we say, that sure doesn't look beautiful. But there's a promise, right? It says that he will make all things beautiful in its time. But can I tell you, some things will only make sense in eternity. There's some things that we see in this life that we go, that sure doesn't look beautiful. And God says, yeah, but I'm not done yet. His time does not end with my last breath. And there may be things that don't look right to me on this side of eternity, but on that side of eternity, I'll step back and see what he was doing and I'll go, oh, that's beautiful. Like he's made everything beautiful and it's time. Like, think of this. You, you, don't, you don't have this in your notes, but listen to what Paul writes. Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, he says. You ask any lady who has given birth if it was painful, and they will answer with, what do you think, right? <laughs> Why? Because when you birth something new, when new life comes, it usually comes through a painful process. And we look at that painful process and we go, how can this be anything good? And God says, I'm making something good out of it. You might not see it in this life, but I'm setting it up for eternity and I will make all things beautiful in its time. Which leads to the second thing I want you to see from this passage, right? First, he says he will make all things beautiful in its time. Number two, then he says that God has set eternity in the human heart. It's an interesting thing because he takes a turn there in what he's telling us. Look, look, go back to this. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. It's interesting. He says that he's actually put eternity in our hearts. Now, what do we mean when we talk about eternity? Well, eternity is forever, right? It's outside of the bounds of time. So understand this about eternity, that our lives are wired not just for the short days we have on earth. You know that no matter how long you live, in the grand scheme of things, your life's just a blink, right? And if that's true and and there's eternity out there, understand this. He has put eternity in our hearts. He has wired us not just for the days that we live on this earth. These days are, are just a, a blip on the screen. What he's wired us for is what we cannot see. It's for eternity. It's for forever with God. And that forever is a powerful thing because you realize that somewhere along the lines we have a choice to make. We have to choose what we will do 
with our eternity. Will we spend it with God or will we spend it without him? Will we spend it in heaven? Or scripture talks about a very real place called hell. And these are eternal places. And we have to choose what we will do with our eternity. So your choices make a difference. There was a church in Akron that found this out. Pastor Gus Brown of the Akron Alliance Fellowship Church filed a report that someone came and stole the air conditioning unit from outside the church, just stole it. $3,500 air conditioning unit. They'd only had it there a couple of days. They hadn't even paid the bill for it yet. And somebody just came and stole it. So they decided they had to do something about it, so they put this on their church sign. Take a look at this. (laughs) Whoever stole our AC unit, keep it. It's hot where you're going. It kind of communicates it, doesn't it? Pastor went on, I mean, he said, look, we're, we're having a little bit of fun with this. We want the thieves to know that there's grace, that there's restoration. Like they, they, they said this, you know, kind of thing. But I thought, oh, that's funny. But it puts it all in perspective, doesn't it? Because you have a choice. And here's the deal. Oftentimes we think of eternity as a place, right? Heaven or hell. I, I'm not so sure that eternity isn't more of a person than it is a place. That eternity is either I'm with God or I'm without God. Because I want to be with God no matter where the place is. Does that make sense? I want to have him in my eternity. And that's how we're wired to be with him, to have that relationship with him. Not only does he say that he's put eternity in our hearts, not only is eternity forever, but it's a longing for eternity that is deep in every human heart. And look, we we try to deny it. You'll talk to people who say that's not true. We try to distract ourselves with entertainment. We try to divert that longing with other things. We try to fill it with things that will not last in our lives. But deep, deep down inside of every one of our hearts is a longing for eternity, a longing for relationship with God. We have been hardwired, not just for these days, but for all days. We have a capacity for eternal things. We care about the future. We try to understand what it looks like from beginning to end. We find lasting value. We wanna be a part of something with eternal meaning. And that is why so many times that material things and those things that we chase after, although they may bring pleasure for a moment, and they might satisfy for a second, they do not last forever. You know why you're not wired for those things? You're wired for eternity. I think C.S. Lewis said it really well. C.S. Lewis, if you're not familiar, was the, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote a lot of other philosophical and theological works. And he said this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. He, he describes his longing as the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we've not yet visited. He says that inside of us there is this longing for something more and that maybe the pleasures that we find here are just kind of foretastes. Maybe maybe they're even just kind of teasers of what we're gonna find in eternity. 
You ever, you ever got to the grocery store or one of those warehouse clubs when it's sample day? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen, right? I had a friend who on Fridays, he used to take his two young daughters to Sam's Club and call it lunch, you know, because they would just like go from place to place. It's awesome. I love it when we go to the store. And I'm like, Rhonda, you do what you need to do. I'm going to do what I need to do, right? And you just go from sample cart to sample cart. You just check it all out. That's why they got it there. You hope they didn't see the first time. So the good ones, you can go back a second time, right? You've done it. You know it. Why do they do that? Because if they can give you a taste, then you'll desire the real thing. You'll want to know, that's in the freezer case, right? Or that's, that's down this aisle, right? Because if it's something that you want, it's that taste that's going to get you to go after the real thing. I'm not so sure that this life isn't just a sample. And the things that come to us that we desire are just tastes of what we will only find when we get to eternity, in fact, the Bible says this in, in the book of Psalms. The psalmist in Psalm 1611 says that God will fill us with joy in his presence with eternal pleasures at his right hand. So this is why last week when we talked about what drives you, it was so important because if you're driven by anything less than God, your drive is meaningless. Remember what Solomon said last week? Life is meaningless. It's temporary. It does not last. And if you're driven by anything less than what is real, what is from God, what is eternal, then ultimately those things you will find are meaningless. St. Augustine, the great theologian of the fourth and fifth century has said this, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find peace in you. Isn't that true? There's so much of this big world that's out there for us and yet all of it is too small to satisfy us. What we need can only be found in him. Look, I, I stress this because for some of you, that word restless is the best word I could use to describe what's going on in your life right now. There's like just a, a, a restlessness in you. It's because you're wired for something more than what you're finding. Maybe for some of you, it's because you've, you've kind of set God off to the side or you've been chasing after some other things. Or maybe it's because God's birthing something new inside of you. And if there's that restlessness, be willing to say to him, God, I trust my time. I trust my life to you. And let me take it one more step because maybe that restlessness becomes in your life because you've never had a connection to him. Look, you'll often hear us talk about Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, as our savior and as our Lord and when we use that language, Savior, what we mean is this, that he's the one who can forgive our sins. When Jesus came and lived a life without any sin and then died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins and mine so that you and I could know forgiveness of our sins. And can I be honest? For some of us, the reason we have a restlessness is because we're still wrestling with our sins. There's that guilt that comes there's that, that desire that comes that we don't know what to do with. There's that, that condemnation that keeps knocking on the door of our lives. And it's when we come to Jesus and we ask him to be our savior, to bring us forgiveness, that he's able to remove that guilt and shame in our lives. Not only is he our savior, but he's also our Lord. The, the analogy that, that I love to, to use, it helps me so much, is when, when I say Lord, it means, God, you can have the steering wheel of my life. You can be the one who directs me. You can be the one who gives my life purpose and gives my life meaning. And it's only then that you get hardwired into what you were designed for, for eternity. To say, God, I give my all to you. 
And at the end of this service, we're, we're going to pray about that. Like for some of you, maybe the decision you need to make today for the first time, or maybe make it again, is to say, Jesus, I need you as my Savior and as my Lord. Because chasing after everything else will just leave me empty. See, this is what Solomon is coming to in this passage, and especially in this verse. He says first, what we saw, right, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. And then two, that he's put eternity in the hearts of men. He's hardwired us for relationship, for satisfaction to be found only with God. And the third thing that we see in this verse is this, number three, that God sees time from beginning to end. That God sees time from beginning to end. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also said eternity in the human heart Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Don't, don't you wish you could see beginning to end? Maybe not of all of history, but like your history beginning to end? Like sometimes, just don't you wish you knew what was coming at you that day? Like tell me, tell me you've never done this. Like if you're, if you're flying on an airplane, you're sitting there in your seat, and you got on a little earlier and you're watching everybody else come, and the person that's coming down the aisle, seat next to you, has a baby with them, what do you start praying? Dear Lord, please send that baby to the back of the plane, right? You're thinking that, right? Well, fear no more. Do you know what Japan Airlines has done? If you book your ticket through Japan Airlines and you, you, know, you like pick your seat selection on there, they now have designations on the seat chart that mark where a child's gonna be sitting between the age of eight weeks and two years old. You got your little baby finder so that you can pick a seat to keep you away from, well, here's, here's how one guy said it. He, he put this on Twitter. Thank you, Japan Airlines, for warning me about where babies plan to scream and yell during a 13-hour trip. That's a really nice guy, right? <laughs> it's interesting that that's the world we live in, right? The world we live in is how much can I do to avoid things I want to avoid, to get ahead of things that might come my way, how much do I try to control my life and see what might be coming at me? And the reality is, life doesn't work that way, does it? What do we see? What do we know that's coming at us? Well, Solomon used a phrase last week. Remember, he'll use this 20-some times in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, we see what is under the sun. Right? We see what we can see, what the sun shines on. We can understand from our point of view or from our vantage point in time. We can only see what we can see. So my question for you is, what are you seeing right now? Like this time, this season that you're in, is it an awesome time? Is it a preparation time? Are you in a waiting time or a working time? Do you feel like you're losing time or maybe you're out of time? Like where do you find yourself right now? And remember this, that in the midst of all of that, as all you can see is what is just under the sun, that there will be things that you can't fathom because you'll see what you can see, but here's, here's, the, here's the whole truth here. God sees everything. You see what only you can see, but God sees everything. It says no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. And remember that when you can only see so much, God can see it all. He sees from point to point. 
He sees exactly what's happening. You are dialed into just what is under the sun, and yet God can see it all. And some of us wrestle with that, right? We struggle with that. We wanna push back, and we wanna say, God, why don't you do it my way? And God, I don't like how this is working out. And God, I don't know that I can trust you. This is one of the messages that shows up in the book of Job. Listen to this, Job chapter 11, verse seven. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. Look, there will be some mysteries in life that you and I will never understand because we don't have the vantage point from which to see them. 1997, a guy named William was out with some friends. He was leaving to head home late and he called home and said, hey, I'm on my way. And they never saw him again. Cold case, him, his car, the whole thing, missing for the last 22 years. No idea where he was. Not too long ago, a nosy neighbor started trying to figure out what everybody else had in their backyard and so went to Google Earth. You ever done that? Will you do it before the day's out? Some of you will. Went to Google Earth and started like moving around looking at the neighborhood, kind of just seeing things, and there's a, there's a pond in that community. I started looking at the pond. I was looking on the computer screen and said, man, that's weird. In that pond, it almost looks like there's an image of a, of a car in that pond. I called some authorities, and they went and looked and solved a 22-year-old cold case. William, who's deceased in his car, were submerged in that pond, really not that far from the, the shore that was there. The people that lived around there said, how did that happen? See, that neighborhood was all still being built. The pond was there, but the neighborhood was still being built at the time of his disappearance. Nobody knows exactly how it happened. They just know that that's where he's been. And the neighbors were like, we've lived so close. How could we live right here and never see it? Because their vantage point was just right here under the sun. They didn't have the higher vantage point from which they could see the whole thing and solve the mystery. Does that make sense? See, there are things in your life that won't make sense until you get to a higher vantage point, until you know and are able to see it from God's perspective. There's things that you can't fathom, but he sees it from beginning to end. And so at some point, we have to come to terms with this. We have a point of view, but God has the total view. And so when it doesn't make sense to you, understand this, that from my point of view, I can't see it, but from God's point of view, he can see it all. And from his point of view where he sees it all, he has not said, I can't wait to see how this plays out. He has not said, I hope this has a happy ending. You know what God says when he sees from beginning to end? He says, they can't see it from right there, but I'm gonna make everything beautiful in its time. I'm gonna work this out because you can trust him that he will do what is right and he will make all things beautiful in his time. So what does he ask? He asks for you to say, God, I trust you to make things beautiful. And he asks for you to say, God, I surrender my hardwired eternity to you. And God, I know this, that I can't see it, but I will trust your point of view because God, you make all things beautiful in its time. Here's, here's what I know. I know that some sermons are timeless, right? They have they have truths and principles that apply to our lives no matter what's going on in our lives. And I'm sure that for some of us, 
what Solomon has taught us here today in Ecclesiastes 3.11, that's, that's a, it's a timeless principle. It's good for us to understand these things about God and time. But for others of you, this message is timely, right? That the things that we've talked about today were things that you needed to hear. I, I, I heard it from enough people after that last service where people said, this was just what God needed for me to hear today. So I know for some of you, it's timely. So if it is, before we wrap up and we're gonna, we're gonna be able to share in a couple more baptisms, can I share just another perspective with you? A friend of mine just recently had one of the biggest days of his life and uh, he and his wife welcomed a brand new baby into their home. And so I went up to visit and meet the little guy and his wife had, had stepped out of the room for a little while and so when I walked in, he was just sitting on the couch holding the little guy just looking at him. It was, it was can you say another guy was cute? Can I say that? He's just so cute just sitting there, you know? So we were talking, and I got to hold the little guy, and we're, we're up in the, the brand-new towers at Toledo Hospital. Anybody seen these? It's beautiful, just these brand-new tower that they have there, and they've done all this construction all around there to, to make you know, all, this, all this new way. So if you've not been out there, like all the parking's different. They move things all around, and they've put in some roundabouts. We love the roundabouts, don't we? Don't you, don't you love struggling with the roundabouts? Don't you love struggling with the people who are struggling with the roundabouts? You know who I'm talking about, right? And so we're, we're, we're up there, and I'm holding a little guy, and he looks at his watch, and he says, oh, my family's going to be here pretty soon. They're coming up to see the baby. And literally, he looks out the window of the tower at that point, and when he does, he goes, they are right there. Like their car, you know, up from that vantage point in the tower, you could see the car that's like driving and going through the roundabout and going the wrong way. I mean, he sees them. They're not going the right way. So he pulls out his phone and very lovingly goes, hey, I see you. You're going the wrong way. Let me help you. So then a few minutes later, they come back into view, right? And he's helping them go through the, through the roundabout. Okay, make the, okay, next time. You know, like, and, <laughs> right? And he says to him, okay, now, now do this because there's a, there's a great place for you to park right here. You want to park here. That'll be, that'll, that'll be closest. Thing. And, he, and it was really cool because I'm standing there and I'm watching from his vantage point. He's able to speak to them. And all they know is where they're at in a place that is uncertain and feels like they're going around in circles. But his vantage point, he can see beginning to the end and exactly the place that he has in mind for them. Do you see the analogy here? But so many times you're going, God, I don't know where I am. And God, I don't know what's happening. And God, it seems like I'm going in the wrong direction. Or God, it feels like I'm going around in circles. And if you will listen, if you will surrender it to him, he is a God who is able to say, you know, you don't know where you are, but I do. And I can see where this is going. And if you'll trust me, if you'll listen to my voice, if you'll believe that I can put you in a place that will be beautiful in the right place at the right time, if you will trust me, then I can make the most in something beautiful out of your time. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, whether you're in this room or you're in Auditorium 2, whether you're watching this on a screen somewhere. I wanna, I wanna pray for you because there's some of you who would say, God, I needed this today. I needed to know that I'm not just driving around in circles and I'm not just headed in the wrong direction and I'm not just wondering where I'm going, but you are a God who is God over time. You are God in my time. You are God who has something beautiful in its time. And so Lord, I trust you with this today. If you would say, God, this was a timely word, I need you to help me. Would you just raise your hand, whether you're in this room or another room, just raise your hand, keep it up for a moment. God, this is a timely word. I need you to help me in this time, in this moment, in this season. God, would you help me? 
Father, you see the hands that are raised today. God, you know these are hands that aren't just signifying something to man, but they're reaching out to you. And these are hands that are saying, God, I need you to make something beautiful in my life, but I trust you with the time. In my job, in my family, in my heart, in my future, I surrender these things to you. God, I know that things don't always happen in my time, so I trust them to your time, that you are the God who does the right thing at the right time. But the restlessness that's in my life, I surrender it to you. God, I look for my satisfaction to be found only in you. And Lord, I know that somewhere, even if I can't see it all, you do from beginning to end. And so today, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I I pray with the one who not only needs to trust you with their time, but trust you with their life, who today senses something in their heart that they can't do it on their own anymore, who in this moment says, Jesus, I need you as my Savior and as my Lord. As they trust you, God, would you do something new in their lives like never before? God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.